This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Bloom. Managing your 401k is hard. Bloom isn't. See what you could be doing to make your 401k better by getting a free analysis at bloom401k.com fool. That's Bloom with three O's, 401k.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Monday, April 16th. We're talking about big bank earnings. I'm your host, Michael Douglas. I'm joined by Matt Frankel. By the way, listeners, uh, I have to admit something. Our last two episodes were pre-recorded, and that is because Matt was out for a couple of weeks celebrating um, the birth of his second child, Ian. So please join me in congratulating Matt on uh, child number two and also on surviving and coming back to the show. So Matt, it's it's particularly great to have you back today. Thank you. I missed you guys. Oh, shucks. <laughs> All right. So, and there's definitely, there've been some interesting developments. It's big bank Big bank earnings usually kick off earnings season, so that's usually an exciting beginning to uh, to earnings season, and there's quite a bit going on here. Um, let's start with the headline numbers, which generally were pretty strong, mostly across the board, actually completely across the board. Uh, yeah, all of the big four, that's Wells, JPM, Bank of America, and Citigroup beat analyst expectations. Yeah, it really seems that since the financial crisis, the banks are into under-promising and over-delivering. Uh, this is a trend we see. Mo- it's not always across the board, but it's usually a pretty good theme that the banks beat whatever analysts are calling for and on terms of both earnings and revenue. Uh, in this quarter, it happened to be all four of them beat on both the top and bottom lines. Uh, we knew earnings were going to be higher than a year ago. In like JP Morgan's were 44% higher. Bank of America's were 38% higher. But that was already in the analysts' estimates, and the, these banks still over-delivered um, due to a combination of a couple things. Uh, first is solid growth. Um, like uh, a lot of the most of the banks grew their loan portfolios and their deposit portfolios. Um, big exception is Wells Fargo, which we'll get to later on. Um, And also because of expense management, banks are, one, pushing expense reductions since the financial crisis as a way to kind of boost returns and, you know, earn acceptable profits in the Dodd-Frank era. Um, And also just because technology is advancing and is making certain things cheaper for banks. Uh, For example, a deposit that you make through a mobile app costs a bank about one-tenth of what it costs if you go in and deposit it through a teller. So thanks to these two areas, banks are you know, doing pretty well right now. Yeah, and you see that really showing up in a couple of areas. One is expense management, not surprisingly. Long-time listeners have heard us harp on the efficiency ratio all kinds of times. And frankly, I mean, J.P. Morgan's uh, you know, revenue was up $2.7 billion. Expenses were up just $0.8 billion. So um, you know, that sort of margin expansion meant that they had a 56% efficiency ratio. Bank of America was at a 60% efficiency ratio after dropping its non-interest expenses down about 1%. And Citigroup um, saw its efficiency ratio at 58%. And, you know, generally speaking, we're really, really thrilled if we see an, uh, an efficiency ratio under 50%. But under 60% is pretty good. And what you've really seen is kind of these trends playing out positively for the big banks. Plus, 
one of the one of the important things to note is that that expense rate uh, expense management is not coming at the cost of growth. And that's to your point, Matt, really highlights what technology and automation and some of these other things that they're really focusing on are driving for them. I mean, JP Morgan saw a core loan growth of eight percent and deposit growth of six percent, Bank of America three percent deposit growth. Those are good numbers to see, particularly when there's expense management going on. And of course, all that translates to much better profitability. Right. We're seeing some profitability numbers from the banks that we have not seen in over a decade. Um, JP Morgan was the, the kind of shining star of this quarter. I know that's one of Michael's favorite as far as the big banks go. Right. Uh, JP Morgan put up a 15% return on equity and 1.37% return on assets. This is getting into the realm of like an internet based bank <laughs> in, as terms of profitability. Yeah. Um, just to kind of give you some context, that's up from 11% on return on equity and 1.03% on return on assets just a year ago. Um, a lot of this is fueled by tax reform, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. But a lot of it's just good old-fashioned expense reduction and and growth fueling these profitability numbers. Uh, Wells Fargo put up uh, over 12% on return on equity, 1.26 on return on assets. Bank of America, um, generally speaking, the industry benchmarks are a 10% return on equity and a 1% return on assets. Bank of America exceeded both of those for the first time since the financial crisis. So these are really positive signs for bank investors that things are really, truly, finally returning to normal. Yes, and a sign as well that as interest rates continue to rise, there's going to be long-term margin expansion for these banks, which anyone who's a bank investor, that's a good sign. Um, although, you know, not perhaps as much margin expansion as expected, uh, Citigroup uh, sought the, their net interest income missed just slightly. It was $11.17 billion versus $11.26 billion. Not huge. Uh, not a huge miss, but just a, a slight one there. Uh, another strong point for banks, wealth management. Yeah. Um, wealth management has done well. Uh, there's, and there's kind of two things you need to know about the wealth management numbers you're seeing in bank earnings reports. Not <clears throat> The stock market has been doing you know, great over the past year. If you look at where even the, the stocks you own were a year ago and where they are today, it's probably, you know, they've done pretty well. So assets under management at a lot of wealth management firms have gone up just because of that, because the assets themselves are worth more. What you really want to pay attention to is what are called inflows or net net flows is how a lot of the banks will put it. Um, and JP Morgan saw record inflows this quarter. Um, that means people are putting money to work in investments rather than in cash. Um, bank, uh, Merrill Edge, uh, Bank of America's the platform they acquired from Merrill Lynch back several years ago, um, saw its assets grow by 18%. The stocks that customers owned did not grow 18%. A lot of that was you know, new investors coming into the market, people depositing more money in their accounts. So this is really you know, organic growth. It's, it's really good to see. Yeah, absolutely. And so, with that in mind, you know, we're seeing a lot of good things. Interestingly, most of the big banks fell after reporting earnings. What do you make of that? Um, there are a few reasons they could have fallen. Uh, the first one, as you said, the margin expansion wasn't quite where people wanted to see it. Bank of America's was actually flat because they got rid of their uh, international credit card business. Cities and J.P. Morgan's went. It had margin expansion, but not as much as 
a lot of people had expected. So that's one reason. Uh, tax reform, we're starting to get some kind of concrete results, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, that wasn't quite as good as expected. And as we'll talk about also in a minute, uh, trading revenue kind of isn't where it needs to be just yet, considering how volatile not only the stock market, but interest rates have been over the this the first quarter. So there's a there are a few reasons why banks why investors could be selling off the banks on these earnings news. Sure. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But first, a quick word. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Bloom. Go online to bloom41k.com slash fool and simply connect your existing 401k in a few easy steps. Then sit back and relax while Bloom performs an unbiased analysis of the funds in your account and chooses the best mix to meet your goals while minimizing hidden investment fees. Bloom's pricing is $10 per month, regardless of account size. They link to your existing 401k so you don't have to move your money. They're a completely independent advisor, so you know you're getting unbiased, expert investment advice. Getting your investments right doesn't have to be hard, painful, or time-consuming. Bloom is so simple. In fact, the hardest part about this is remembering there are three O's in Bloom, but not in Fool. So go to bloom401k.com fool and enter promo code fool for your first month free and see the difference Bloom could make in your retirement. Again, that's bloom with three O's, 401k.com fool. Okay, so heading back to the big banks, let's talk about trading volume. Um, because certainly trade... So to, for a little bit of background... You know, last quarter, one of the the big standout problems, if you will, for the big banks was that trading volume was weak. And despite the fact that there's still uh, that that you know volatility has definitely increased, anyone who's invested in the last month has noticed that volatility has increased. Trading revenue is still pretty darn weak. Yeah, and um, to be clear, this was kind of a good problem to have. The reason trading revenue was weak is because the market was just going up and up and up. Uh, interest rates had remained pretty low consistently. Um, so when the stock market's going up and up and up and there's no volatility, there's less of an incentive for people to trade. Um, same with interest rates. When interest rates are pretty predictable and consistent, there's obviously going to be lower trading volumes. So it made sense that that was the problem. That was offset by things like increasing wealth management businesses and, and the such. But now we're, since we've had a kind of a pretty volatile first quarter, especially in the context of the past few years, in terms of both the, the equity markets and fixed income markets, analysts were kind of expecting, especially fixed income trading, which has been the big problem, to shoot up over the quarter, and it just didn't do so as much as expected. Uh, in J.P. Morgan's case, fixed income trading revenue was completely flat year over year, whereas analysts were expecting about 3% growth. Um, Bank of America's fixed in- income trading revenue missed, it, missed that. Missed estimates by about $400 million. Um, Citigroup's fixed income revenue mixed, missed by almost $300 million and was actually down 7% year over year. Um, and now, in all of these cases, equity trading revenue helped make up for it. Uh, in Citigroup's case, it was up by 38% year over year thanks to the volatility in the market. But fixed income trading was kind of a big letdown this quarter. Uh, Analysts just thought it would pick up more than it had just because of the volatile interest rates. Yeah, absolutely. And 
this is part of the nature of the big banks is that there are trade-offs within the trade-offs, right? So we always talk about how well trading will be weak when the you know market is just going up. Well, also within trading, you know, you've got your fixed income versus your equities, and that's going to uh, be different when you know when you've got volatility around interest rates and around stocks. So there's kind of a lot of moving parts here, but that's kind of where that stands. Okay, we've buried the lead enough. Let's talk about tax reform. Big positive moves for the banks on tax reform, big reductions in their effective tax rates. Yeah, we knew this was going to be a big deal for the banks. Um, for those who aren't too familiar, the corporate tax rate dropped from 35% to uh, 21%. So we knew that this would be a big impact on the banks, and it is. Um, Bank of America pointed out that they're expecting a 9 percentage point ongoing benefit from this. And just to kind of put that into some dollars context, um, Bank of America. Th- this will save Bank of America approximately three billion dollars a year, based on their current earnings rate. So this is a big deal. Um, J.P. Morgan for the quarter posted about a little over eighteen percent. So did Wells Fargo for their effective tax rate. Where usually these are in the high twenties. So that's consistent with Bank of America's nine percent prediction. Um, I th- it could be that investors are just kind of finally getting some concrete numbers. And it's less than the spread between the 35% former tax rate and the 21% current corporate tax rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so they could have just been expecting a little bit more. And that's a reason for some possible disappointment. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I look at this and within the framework that I'm, I'm not confident that big banks are a good investment long-term, this was a pretty darn good quarter for three of the four of them. And so, if investors aren't happy now, uh, I wonder when they will be. Because, um, this, you know, just, just in general, things are looking pretty good for the three of the four. Um, let's, of course, talk a little bit about the problem child of the, of the bunch, which is <laughs> well, Wells Fargo. Not as great of a quarter for them. No, and they had some of the same benefits. You know, they had tax reform working in their favor. Uh, but generally speaking, Wells Fargo is you know not doing that great right now. Um, people or a lot of investors originally thought that when they had their big fake accounts scandal over, over a year and a half ago now, that that was going to be a quick temporary thing. And I was actually kind of hoping it would be as well. But since then, a few other scandals have come to light. Um, the bank's uncertain about how that's going to affect their bottom line. They just put out a big statement in their earnings report that they, these results may not be the real results, depending on the outcome of certain legal matters. Um, and on top of that, the Federal Reserve says that Bank of America, or I'm sorry, Wells Fargo can't grow past their asset level at the end of 2017. So they're not even, from an investment thesis perspective, they're not even in the same ballpark as the other ones for the time being. Um, and you're seeing kind of the public distrust caused by the scandals affecting their numbers. Their mm-hmm. revenue actually fell year over year. Their net interest income fell year over year, um, which is really alarming in a time of rising interest rates. Um, <clears throat> their net interest margin actually dropped by three per- three basis points. Uh, their deposits went down. That means people you know are pulling their money out of Wells Fargo. Not a ton. I mean, less than one percent, but it's still. At a time when everyone else's is going up by three to five percent, this is a big deal. Their lending, their loan portfolio dropped by one percent. Um, 
they're the least efficient out of the big four banks by far with about a 65% efficiency ratio. Which is a big reversal from the past. Oh, yeah. Wells Fargo for, I would say, a period of over 10 years up till about 2017 was the most efficient, the most profitable of the big four banks. And that's just not the case anymore. Yeah. Um, in most ways, I'd say even Bank of America is looking a lot better than Wells Fargo right now, which a few years ago would have been a, you know, a crazy statement. No one would have believed me for saying that. <laughs> right. Um, I wouldn't have believed me for saying that a few years ago. Um, but Wells Fargo just has and to be fair, they they recognize completely that they're still in the early stages of turning the ship around. Um, they know that they have a lot of a lot of work to do, and um, you know the, the new management seems pretty focused on doing it. It's just going to take a lot more time than it originally looked like, especially with you know all the mini scandals that are coming out afterwards and the Fed's penalty, which is pretty unprecedented. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a long road to recovery for Wells Fargo. Now, Matt, let's let's take a, a step back and, and look at these stocks really from a long-term perspective. We covered a lot of news and a lot of numbers, and that's all very important because, of course, when you're thinking about a company, you need to know with some detail what's going on. Do you think any of the big banks is well-equipped to handle the incoming disruption that we've talked about on past episodes? Um, you know, when I when I look at this group of companies i am still i am i'm happy that they're there because they are excellent barometers for kind of what's going on across financials but i do question long term what their road to prosperity looks like that's true and there's it's also um in a episode we a few episodes ago we talked about um how the redu- reduced banking regulations over the next coming years that are being proposed wouldn't affect the big banks. Right. So that actually adds in another dynamic that the um, it kind of levels the playing field between the big banks and the smaller banks. Right now they have a, some, I mean, big banks have a lot of inherent advantages. I mean, scale is the obvious one. Um, they have their, you know, brand name recognition is, you can't ignore that. Right. Um, but there's, between that and the disruptors we talked about, um, <clears throat> Like um, the the lending, especially, is a big big thing with the, all the peer to peer lenders and other ones uh, like Marcus by Goldman Sachs coming onto the market and giving people just kind of an avenue that people who need to borrow money a new avenue that they haven't had before. So, I mean, to be to be clear, I'm a I'm a Bank of America shareholder. I have been for some time. It's one of my biggest stock positions, um, and I think they're going to be a good investment long term. But it's getting tougher to make the case that some of the smaller disruptors and smaller banks are not going to be even better. Yeah, and I, I think that's definitely a, a major concern. And by the way, uh, folks, if you are hearing this conversation and you're like, okay, what was that earlier episode? That was our April – I'm sorry, our um, April 2nd episode – on five ways banks are being disrupted. If you need the transcript or anything like that, just shoot me an email, industryfocus at fool.com, and I'll be happy to send that on to you, or you can just listen to that in your podcast app. All right, folks, that's it for this week's financial show. Questions, comments, you can always reach us at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.